0: Hello, and welcome to the latest in the Walkley Foundation's ongoing podcast series, which brings you the best journalistic talent from Australia and around the world.
1: I know Peter because when we launched uh, Technology Spectator uh, a few years ago, I was part of the AIBM group, which had Business Spectator, Climate Spectator, Technology Spectator, uh, Eureka Report, etc. And we started here in Melbourne uh, Christmas 204, and uh, that business built up to about 50 people or so, and we sold it. just about two years ago. Uh, from a, so we went from a start-up to bringing in about seven million a year at the time that we sold the business about um, two years ago exactly. So to that extent, I've always been interested in the startup area and innovation and technology and, and all things online, because uh, that is where the majority of the innovation is. Um, Peter is terrific on this. When we launched Technology Spectator, it was our first video um, interview. And I remember the editor at the time was a man called Super Tim. And he, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Innovative
2: oh, tour. No. There it's we go. There we go. Apologies to you. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. You've walked. Yes, hi.
0: Thanks yes. for taking the fashion. What's your This is where I want to be. That's oh, nice. Come on in. And that's one of my staff <laughs> who's just started a start with fashion and who just happened to walk in, and the other one with red hair. Was- not one of my ex OK. Um, so back to where we were. E- back to where we were. Where were we? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Introducing Peter.
1: So we were launching Technology Spectator. And someone said, you should launch it with a video with this guy from Deloitte. His name is Peter Williams. He's terrific. And I said, oh, he's from Deloitte, is he? Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, well, OK. Uh, take your
1: word for it. And um, so they did a video. And I remember looking at the video and going, oh, this is terrific. Now I see why you picked this guy. And, uh, Maybe that will actually do as an introduction, but to tell you the formals, he trained as a chartered accountant, you wouldn't think that. Uh, I started working with internet technologies in 93. Uh, he, st- he came back to Australia in 96, founded an e-business consulting group within Deloitte. And since that time, he, uh, Peter was CEO of the e group and then founded Deloitte Digital. Uh, today, he's chairman of Deloitte's Innovation Council and adjunct professor at RMIT. And he's a member of a board member of Circus Oz as well. So and the Red Foundation,
0: which I mean Good stuff. Okay. No worries. So um thank you. Thank you. So let's um let, let's sort of start with innovation. Um I've got a colleague at works who often refers to there was that US case about pornography and I think the judge said you are it's hard to define but you know it when you see it. And he has. He often says, "Innovation is hard to define, but you know it when you see it." And um, so that's one thing. But and, and we often hear these sort of long-winded definitions about creating economic value and other blah, But blah, blah, blah. I I have a very simple definition, and it. it's trying new ideas. So and it almost if you sort of work backwards from those three words, <laughs> innovation always, the genesis of innovation is always something um, else. for it to be innovative, it needs to be new. Now, I always say to people. If it's new for you, you're innovating luck you know, If you've never done it before and you try something new, um, you're innovating. Now, the fact that it might be, oh, I'm a business and I'm going to set up a Twitter account. The fact that you know there's another four hundred million people in the world or whatever who've set one up but you've never done it, you're right. innovating. But the key thing about a new idea is ideas. You know, we all can have them every day. In fact, you can train yourself to have hundred a day if you want. But if you don't try and execute them. You're not innovative. So you know, I say innovation starts with starts with ideas, but lives and dies in execution. The other the other thing that sort of started to rear its head, probably oh, maybe 2006, you know, <coughs> post dot com crash, and the, the, this sort of term disruptive innovation you often hear come up, and it sort of comes up in bursts. Um, it goes very quiet when there's a recession or uh, something like a GFC. So Nobody has asked me about disruptive innovation for the last probably six years. Um, in the last six months, I'm being asked about it every day. In fact, the phone call I came before here was somebody asking me about it. And th- there's two types of disruptive innovation. One is this sort of completely new business model. And it often sort of starts with people who don't normally use the thing, and it cost you more for less, and the product's crap, but it improves upstream. So easy example, photography, film, um, you know, the Kodaks and the Fujis, our customers want better film. Um, digital photography comes out. What's it like? It's shit house. It's half a megapixel or three quarters of a megapixel. It's grainy. Cameras are really expensive, so it costs me more for less. But it has some nuance to it. It's like, oh, I actually can see the photo. Like, it's more portable. I don't have to wait to get it developed and all that stuff. And then the technology improves, uh, gets to a point where it's good enough, and the firms pass down collapse. Because that's one sort of disruption. Um, the other sort of disruption is what we call replatforming. And we are in the midst of a world that's replatforming. It's a double whammy of replatforming. There's what people would call it digital disruption, but the, um, within that spectrum, which has been happening over the last 21 years, effectively since the web came out, the other one is um, the smartphone revolution. So um, I've been in the web world for 21 years. Never ever seen anything move remotely as fast as um, smartphones. We released a uh, report last week at Deloitte called the um, Digital Media Consumer. So, some interesting stats. Smartphone penetration in Australia is say like percent probably top five in the world. Um, hamburger with a lot, uh, smartphone, tablet, uh, desktop, laptop. Uh, I think we're up at about 63% of the world, or 63% third in the world. Uh, social media usage, massive. Um, one of the questions we asked would you pay for news content online 92% of Australians said no Um, but also remember we are the largest Pirates of Music Per Capita. Well, I actually, I was in New Zealand the other day and said, you know, there's an old Australian saying, once you've got a bit of dingo in you sooner or later, you'll hail at the moon. Um, we have a strong convict heritage. We always want a suburban man. Um, so, so, we um, we sort of, um, we, we do tend to pirate and all that stuff, but, but I, I also feel pretty strongly that um, the way that this market's been treated in terms of um, in terms of this <coughs> content, whether it be books, movies, music, tends to be overpriced, deferred delivery of content. Um, you know, what if, you know, if I was the government at the moment with this piracy stuff and the internet monitoring, it would be like I'd say the movie industry. If you want that, you have to guarantee prices that you apply here are exactly the same as um, the US and release dates must be exactly the same second or you can go and get stuff. Um, so um, So we're sort of seeing that. We also did a report with our guys from Access Economics. uh, A thing of, you know, so you've heard the digital people talk for the last 20 years, oh, digital's going to disrupt everything. Um, And we sort of said, okay, well, why don't we try and have a go at, well, when is it going to disrupt? and Who's going to disrupt by how much and when? So we, we came up with a report called Digital Disruption Short Fuse Big Bang. So, fuse was effectively the length of time, and bang was the overall impact on um, on an industry. So, the industry that had the um, was smack bang right in the top of the short fuse, bigness, big bang was um, media and technology and entertainment. Um, financial services <laughs> slightly behind, and professional services where I live, um, right in there in that quadrant. So. We're sort of seeing this rate of change happening. But the other thing that we're also seeing at the same time is I use this term that Australian individuals absorb technology like sponges, and our institutions absorb technology like bricks. (laughs) Um, So if you look at Australians as consumers of technology, we are up there in the top five just about any. Someone for number one, but we're always right up there. So we're just avid consumers of technology, but our institutions rate sort of in the 20s. And then we've got Mikey. Yeah, yeah, and again, you know, you could have just bought you know licensed octopus from Hong Kong and that would have been good, but uh let's build it ourselves. So the so we're sort of seeing this this sort of gap creating And then one of the things that we're sort of saying to us is that we're not seeing a hell of a lot of institutional innovation, but we're seeing this sort of explosion of innovation happening around the niches, around the edges. The the other thing that we need to also remember is that unlike most what I call sort of technology punctuations in history, whether that be the development of maps, whether it be the development of the alphabet, whether it be the printing press in Gutenberg, or railway lines, or whatever. Things that communicate with electricity, they tend to have a rapid sort of boom period, and then they sort of stabilise and incrementally and elevate over a long period of time. The difference with the digital world is that we see it growing exponentially, and there is no end in sight of this exponential growth and change. So. It means that opportunities for innovators are abundant. Um, the other thing that we tend to find is that incumbents rarely are the ones who come up with the new models. They, you know, it, again I was talking to a guy today I said, he said, look, I'm talking to leaders about disruptive innovation and you know how they can be disruptive. I said, yeah, it's almost impossible to be a disruptive innovator if you're an incumbent. So if we think of let's say you were the CEO of Kodak and Mr. You've got the best research and development team in digital photography in the world. You've just hired Chuck Gaston from Apple, one of the best guys in the world as well. Yes. And they turn up and say, we've got to get into digital photography. Oh, great, what's the size of the market? Uh, it sort of doesn't exist. Okay, great. Um, what do our customers think? They think it's shit. Oh, cool. <laughs> what capabilities are we, we can to apply? Uh, none, because it's all electronics and we're sort of filled with a super by the paper guy. Yeah, that's great, let's bet our business on that. Um, and then we get the upstream and. The, the, the other thing is, you know, you would have heard of D, DDoS attacks. There's the, the other attack from incumbents: comes DDS, integrate deny, and sue. So when we see industries that, uh, certainly we took the music industry. So, you know, you know oh shit, you know, all those cuss- things have been pirated and we want to control the way things are. Shit, i go got a good business model. Let's sue our customers. Uh, yeah, not a great sustainable business model. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, you know, the, now I'm going to cut, uh, again, I know journalists, you get very uppity about this, but um, let's denigrate every citizen journalist, because if, so I'm not a qualified technologist, so I'm a citizen technologist, I just happen to be seen as one of the great digital gurus. but I'm invalid, because I'm a citizen technologist. Well, that's fucking bullshit. Bill Gates, did he qualify? He dropped out of your shit. Well, he's a citizen technologist. Steve Jobs, yeah, he's a citizen technologist, too. Um, accreditation licensing and all that stuff has got no place in their democracy. <laughs> so, um, so my view is, well, sure, they may not have the same training, but you know, and, and I, I, I sort of, unfortunately, do hang around with some sort of journalists it's very important. It's, let's denigrate and deny these citizen journalists. Then there's that guy, um, Eric, what's his name? Eric Albans or whatever, Balling Cat.
3: Elliot.
0: Oh, Elliot Higgins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, um, so uh, I was listening to something on the radio the other day, and a journalist bloke was talking about how useless citizen journalists are. I'm like, well, did you work out that that missile launcher was in Venice <laughs> at that time? And did you, were you were able to sort of use yeah. social media investigatory techniques to be able to tap, see the photos, use sun cult to work out exactly what time it is, and be able to prove it was there? Mm-hmm. Um, no, you didn't. Uh, and uh, Eric's, uh, Elliot's got this project up now called Cat. He's crowdfunding it. And what he's doing is he actually wants to take all of these geeky, weird ass mates and their investigatory techniques and say, here's a repository for anyone, whether you're an established journalist, an accredited journalist, or just an investigatory journalist, or just some guy who's got a passionate interest about something, and share how we find all these things out. So I sort of look at it and think, you know, You know, I I deal with journalists a lot, some are great. Some are, some are like, you know, you know, you you give them a press release, and you go, you could have at least changed one word or added something to it, you know. Um, Or you'll be talking to a journo and they want to talk to you about this topic, and you're going, no, no, that's not the issue. That's the wrong question. No, that doesn't matter. This is important. You know, it's like, and then you talk to some people, just fantastic and brilliant. You know, so it's like. You know, I, I think that if we want to go into the denigrate, the nice sue thing, that nobody can be good as us because we're better than everyone else, I think we're trying. Um And I think it's this sort of notion of how we learn. I also, I, I wanted to be a journalist. I, I wanted to be a jockey, but genetics got in the way. And then I went to RMIT for an interview to do the journalism. And um, what did you write for your school newspaper? It's like I grew up in Flemington. Like most kids can't read. You think we had a school newspaper? Like <laughs> we had a right place to take the school. We didn't do journalism. <laughs> um, so then I became an accountant and then I and I became a digital geek. So so again, this sort of notion of the opportunity for innovation, the world is changing rapidly, we're seeing mass fragmentation. The 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 other thing that I think and I called this out a number of times ago, was like when you started to look at paywalls, I just when Fairfax and News said, let's create paywalls. So it was like, OK, I think the New York Times has got, what, is it 600,000 um, subscribers in a population, say 250 million, something like that. Um, so we've got a tenth of the population, <coughs> of which only 8% are prepared to pay for news. So it's like, it's going to max out at maybe 50 to 60,000 if you're putting it back a 100,000. Like, or actually, so I just looked and thought, you two idiots are actually putting up a wall, and a tall wall, <laughs> In a country where of the greatest pirates on earth, who don't have a propensity mm-hmm. to pay for much online. Um, and then suddenly we start to see the garden come in. and you know it's almost like I've I've migrated to the Guardian as my primary news source because while it's there internationally, a lot of stuff may not be as good, but it's not bad. And then we see uh, Jasband come out with a conversation. We see you know James and Alan and um, the crew set up the business Spectator again you were in Fairfax, yeah, you know, move out of there because you couldn't sort of do what you wanted to. And actually by sort of almost moving out, they drove innovation and the incumbent says, hey, let's buy it. So um, so, so, exposing sort of short around the innovation of this stuff, I think what we're seeing is the capacity to publish um, to the world has never been more democratized. So you know, we can all walk out of the street or pick up our phone, set up a blog and start writing. Now, just as when uh, Gutenberg did the press, the biggest problem everyone had was, people will read other stuff than the Bible and it won't be great quality and all that and it's all evil and bad. In fact, the explosion of writing meant that, sure, there's was a whole lot of them printed, but you know, also a whole heap of fantastic books printed. So I, I wouldn't be looking at you know who's right, who's wrong. I, I'd look at it and say, how can I build an audience? How can I get better at building stories? How can I bring a whole heap of these tools that I've got at my hands, whether they be the capacity to publish, the capacity to sort of pull the information, connect with other people, pull stuff off Instagram, or you know, find people on the ground. Um, you know, I, got, I was sort of doing a lot of tweeting and stuff around the Arab Spring and any sort of uprising or WikiLeaks and stuff, on me be there. Um, and you know, it was sort of like <coughs> you'd follow, you know, Ben CNN, ben, ben Biederman, and then there was that other guy from BBC. Lady like, Pearl Sigani, who I think is a journey with Al Jazeera. But then there were a whole heap of really good people on the ground who were live tweeting and streaming and all that stuff. So it would be like, the world is changing. Cool, let's accept that. Um, what ideas have I got? Where can I start? How can I learn? The, the other thing that, just in terms of innovators, um, almost to a person, every innovator I've met doesn't really know what they're doing, but they do something. It's like, for me, it's like, you know, I sort of say to people, they say, Oh, you're so anybody, how do you do it? What do you do? So, the only difference between me and most people, if I see something interesting, I'll pick up the phone and say, You know, oh, I see a new startup that I'm interested in. I'll pick up the phone and say, hey, oh, I'm, I'm people interested the work, and i speak to the CEO. Hey, mate, what are you doing? Do you want to go, oh, you know? Um, and it's like, Oh, you're amazing, you get on to know all these new startups. It's like, I, the only thing I did that's different is you saw it, but you didn't do anything. I saw it, and so oh, I bugger picked up the phone and said, What oh, happens? Um, you know, so I'm a big believer in making body contact. I'm a big believer in, if you don't know what to do, do something. I often, I used to be one of the, I, for weird reasons about, uh, we were studying what's the fastest learning communities in the world. And the answer is gaming communities and open source software communities. I wanted to immerse myself in the topic, so I joined the Angry Birds Nest community. And became one of the top one hundred players of an Angry Bird. Uh, but again, it's like, well, I'm going to write about this shit. Why don't I see if it really works? You know, it's, so for me, it's about, you know, I sort of want to achieve something. Um, where do I start? What's the logical next step? And then do it, reflect, and then go again. You know, so it's this sort of notion for me of not about, oh, should I, shouldn't I? It's just sort of. What small moves can I make that can set big things in motion? You know, I, I use the Angry Birds term, aim, fire, adjust. You know, the limited amount of resources, I can't bring I say, Oh, I need a couple of extra of those blue birds. It's like, I've got what I've got, how can I get to where I want to do it? Rapid iteration, uh, learn by doing, low level of risk. If something doesn't work, I'll think, did I stuff it up, or was I wrong? Uh, maybe try it again, if it does work, I'd do more of it, and sort of iterate my way there. So I think, um, I, think, I still think that this whole disruption world and where we're going to get paid from and all these opportunities and what happens with them, there's, you know, there's still a long road to go. We're only at the start of the digital revolution. Most technologies sort of take about 25 years for us to understand what we're doing with them, and then we see the golden age. And at the moment, you sort of look at it, you know, the original web using the existing PCs and telecom infrastructure. Now we're using devices like these uh, tablets and smartphones that are the devices made to the web and mobile computing and all that stuff stuff. so yeah huge opportunity um what would be right what would be wrong who knows but the other thing is the price of doing this stuff has collapsed Mm -hmm. so in the old days if you wanted to set up a publishing platform Say in two thousand, you couldn't just go to WordPress or Blogger and be up and running in two minutes, you have to buy the infrastructure, buy the software, have some web dev company build it for you. Um, you know, if you want to do billing, you couldn't just sort of add PayPal because it didn't exist. So raft of sort of new opportunities to take all this sort of free, cheap, and easily available stuff, glue it together and have a crack. Um, but the key thing is it's the innovators, the ones the innovators wins or somebody who does something and who will learn. And do it fast. The ones who won't be the ones who sort of denigrate the Dion and say, we have a holding place. And if you want to understand it, there's a great paper written called In Defense of the Scribes, um, in the 16th century, I think it was, the 16th century, around the time of the, you know, because the scribes were over living. We are scribes. We know how to write. We're very important people. Um, we don't believe in these scungy publishers, publishers using movable type. Um, we don't have many scribes left today. So hopefully journalism doesn't do, go that way, but again, it's going to be a mindset of how can I learn, what can I do, what ideas can I have, and how can I experiment and learn to scale things up. Hopefully Thank you. Thank
1: you. can draw a breath, and then you can rejoin us. Uh, so I want to introduce now also, uh, to join Peter on, on, uh, on the stage, you could call it oh, here, okay. uh, is Lisa Williams, uh, no relation uh, to Peter, just share a same. Not stage. that I know
3: of. Not that they know of, same <laughs> surname. Yeah. Now,
1: just to introduce Lisa. She joins us from the Investigative News Network in the US, where she's Director of Digital <coughs> Engagement. What is the Investigative News Network, I hear you ask. It's a network of 100 uh, plus independent news organizations dedicated to the public good. And in her work, uh, Lisa describes herself as the fairy godmother for investigative journalists. That's an interesting role, <laughs> uh, helping news organizations connect with the things they need to do to do their work. Uh, Lisa, CEO and founder of placeblogger.com, the world's largest searchable index of local web blogs. Placeblogger was a winner of the Nye 21st Century News Challenge, which gives out $5 million annually to innovators. Uh, with projects that aim to define the future of journalism. So that's really, really at the edge, I, I think, of what we will be talking about tonight. She's also a fellow at the MIT Media Labs Center for Future Civic Media. OK, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to run a Q&A with these guys.
2: Can I that
1: place, blogger? place at blogger? Placeblogger.com, yeah.
3: I sold that one. So. Okay,
1: so I'll just run a few with it, and I'll sit down unless uh, you can't see me, (laughs) and then I will stand up again. But uh, I ask questions for maybe ten or fifteen minutes of the guys and get it going, and then I will throw it over to the floor. Okay, (laughs) yeah, over here. Yeah, give us one moment, and we'll just get started. All right, and uh, we'll give you plenty of time. Plenty of time. A little structure here. I'm I'm, uh, first of all going to give them a a chance to get going thematically, and then we and then we take questions from the floor. Okay, now uh, I'm very interested, I'd like to hear bo- bo- the question, the, the issue that struck me with, bo- with, with Peter's terrific um, address there, and of course it's all very exciting and it's very interesting, uh, and there's great innovations going on, uh, and at the same time we have this awful situation that 90% of the people won't pay for news Peter, uh, and so it struck me when you mentioned some of the innovations you really liked, you mentioned the Guardian, and that's wonderful, but it's a trust, right? It doesn't—it's not yeah. actually a business. Uh, similarly, the Conversation is one of the most successful new things we've seen in media, and uh, it's not a business either. It's—it's—it's a, it's, it's a trust related yeah. to the universities. Uh, we actually have seen very, very few, and if we don't see them, then we'll be um, beholden if you like, or are stuck in that philanthropic uh, mode, and that might be good in some ways, but it's not the ideal outcome. Do, do you see anything in Australia that is not in that philanthropic area that's, uh, that's interesting? Yeah, it's sort of
0: interesting um, that my advice to my clients these days is be your own media. So, like, I did all the social media work for Carlton, um, and it was like, Basically, we're, they're fighting with twelve other football clubs for the back page of the Herald Sun, and mm-hmm. desperately wanting to keep off the front page. They got of them, so that doesn't happen that much. <laughs> but but it's a bit like you know um, they were locked in with Telstra mm. with the, the work thing. So we get I think we get thirty two million impressions mm. uh, a month in season, yep. which is about fifty times what <laughs> than the website gets. Yeah. Uh, and the way that we've been able to monetize that is through what I call nano offers, like, um, you know, we have got a new footy, put a picture of Juddy with the new footy strip, and so it's available in the shop.
1: Right. Um, and that's terrific in many ways, and it's right across soccer as the same. Yeah, Bar- Barcelona
0: TV and Barcelona Arsenal TV. It's, so it's, it's, it's almost fun. like I'm seeing sort of organizations saying, well, yeah. if I can curate my own large audience, I don't yeah. have to rely on... And still, I'd like to have... And um, would you call media. that journalism? What's going on um, in Carlton football? When,
1: would you call it a new, is it a hybrid? Or is it something new? It, yeah, it's, it's sort of, there's a lot more writing.
0: Um, I would, the other one, like, um, so the Collingwood and Essendon did a thing with Foxtel, I think, the, the hangar and the club. I think it cost them 500, 500 grand a year each. I said to Swanee, the CEO, oh, stuff that. We'll set up on Google Hangout, put it out for free. We get um, Andy Maher, um, who's a journo, and Mark DiClevo, who's a you know, well-known media commentator. They fund it for us for free, We've got a PC camera, a couple of screen backdrops, and we run it out through a Google Hangout and get three times the audience for next to nothing. So mm-hmm. it's it's hybridizing. It's hybridizing. It's a yeah, bit yeah, like yeah. how do we and I th- I think that the opportunity for journals and stuff is often yeah. going to be in people trying to build their own media. Or if you look at it, I'd uh, be paying the, hey? yeah. the journalists. What about so? the two
2: people fronting? How come they weren't doing
0: paid? Because they're pages, they wanted to help us build it up. But if you look at the biggest employer football journalists now it's AFL, I've just been involved with cricket in terms of developing their over overall media strategy because I'm saying that if if you as sports are reliant on Freeware TV paying your wages today um, okay, we'll, I'm so, to it's, again, to it, so it's, it's very, it's, it's in, a very interesting. It's in also
1: a culturally a vexed issue, obviously, mm. that uh, there might be an enormous amount of people working for the AFL in media. But you know, the question is, would we ever have known if we were dependent on the AFL media house for our media? Would we ever have known about the drugs scandal, for instance? But we'll come back to that in a second. Yeah, and that's Lisa, an interesting Lisa, thing. Lisa, in the mm. U.S., outside of philanthropy. Do you see any new startups or innovative you know, uh, media houses the emerging? Thing is, is
3: I, you, know, you, you brought up two uh, organizations <coughs> that are backed by a trust. 100% <coughs> of INN's members are nonprofits. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's quite as big a gap or a difference between not for profits and for profits as people might think. Um, most of our members are not backed by. Trusts with endowments of a billion dollars and can just pay um, the expenses of the organization off of, you know, the the interest that the money makes. Um, most of them are not for profits who have to go out just like a for-profit company does and find ways to fund the business. Mm-hmm. They have to go out and ask people for money, um, and that could be a lot of our members. Um, our most successful members have a few things in common. One, they have membership programs. Um, they start looking a lot like national public radio affiliates in the United States. They run events, the They run an educational programs. So they have different lines of business that aren't necessarily advertising related. They also do what they call underwriting. What's the difference between advertising and underwriting? Advertising is $120. Underwriting is $1,200. <laughs> exact same units. They're just asking for more. Right? So they go out, and you know, when I look at their daily life uh, of the person who's running the business side of the house, not that much different than what um, what I see at uh, for-profit publishers. Why are U.S. news organizations turning to um, incorporating as nonprofits? Well, it means they don't have to pay taxes, right? And they want to be free of being driven all the time by the lash of quarterly profit statements. Right? They want to be able to have a little more time to run their own house. Now, the limitations that that gives them is that there are only a few places they can seek start, startup capital. And you can't really flip the business or sell it when, you, uh, when you've gotten to a certain point. So often they have difficulty scaling. That said, they're doing great work. They're, willing, they're winning Pulitzer Prizes in the United States. They're competing head to head with traditional media organizations and winning. So I don't really see that um, philanthropy is a problem. I mean, now, no, no, go, taking, but I do uh, want to uh, answer yeah, your what's question. I wasn't saying it was
1: a problem. I yeah. was saying, do you, see beyond, do you see startups in the conventional sense that are not philanthropic but are for profit? Uh, do you <coughs> see that activity in the US? Have you seen anything that is, has created jobs <coughs> in this space?
3: You know, I think the one that I think about the most is one called The Intercept. This is uh, Glenn Greenwald's uh, startup. OK, so there's philanthropic money involved because Piero um, is involved. Um, but he did not give the money to the Intercept at, or um, the company that runs the Intercept, which was Sorry, sorry just
1: tell us what that is.
3: Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry. Um, Glenn Greenwald was the uh, journalist that uh, Edward Snowden leaked the NSA yeah. files to. Um, and out of this, he, started, he sought money and started a journalism organization called First Look Media. And they have um, an online publication called The Intercept. Um, they don't know what they're doing. They'll even blog about how they don't know what they're doing. I kind of love that. I love your point about innovators are the people who do things. You know, I think um, in, uh, innovators and startup people in general just have really poor impulse control. Uh,
4: <laughs> right.
3: uh, I get too many parking tickets. I'll just, you know, I, you know that looks like a parking spot to me. <laughs> you know, but the question is, how do you not get your car impounded, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm in favor of acting, but I'm also in favor of making small bets. And the one thing I worry about the Intercept is maybe it's too big a bet Right? Maybe they sunk too much money into it too fast, and as a result, it will crash. And I worry that about our nonprofit members too. Sometimes they get a big grant up front, they staff up like crazy, they don't think enough about the business, and then at the end of the grant, they just fall off the cliff and stop existing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've actually in, in Australia, in our limited experience of yeah. this sort of thing, mm-hmm. uh, we've had that example with the Global Mid, the, the exact same thing, where the money went in up front. And, uh, and because it did, and because it was a not for profit, there was actually weaknesses in the structure. One of them being that the guys didn't probably put as much effort into getting heard as doing the work.
0: Yeah. And there's it, two parts to it, there, at any given time. So, just, just, so just, just on that point, there's a term we use called the paradox of capital. It's like if I give you 20 million to run a startup, you'll spend 20 million. If I give you, you know, 200 grand, yeah. You you'll have to be a lot bloody smarter about how you do and you won't mm-hmm. spend huge amounts of money on lavish offices and all this stuff. So it's that sort of notion, like you said, of <coughs> small move, smartly made, set the things yeah. in motion, but mm-hmm. sort of let it go. And 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 I, I mean I look at sort of what you guys have done, what Stephen Main's done, and mm-hmm. you have know, seen sort of people at the edges and but we're still sort of saying that you know, there's a massive shift away from where advertising used to flow, which used to pay for a lot of what we do, and we're in this sort of Unresolved zone, and yeah. you know, this sort of notion of well, if organizations have got let's say, like take Finn Bradshaw, who is, is a journalist and he's getting paid uh, at cricket. You know, I had a long discussion with him. It's like, what happens if you decide to say, you know, Jones Sutherland, the CEO, is an arsehole or you know, yeah. well, there's a scandal? <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. it is like, yeah. and it, it's sort of notionally, there's organizations are you have editorial freedom, but yeah. you sort of say, well, you know, they will they would get to a point where. There's, may a, not. there's a crunch. Yeah, and but again, where it's unresolved, we are learning. and yeah. so I, that's. But I do think that what we're starting to see is organisations saying, "I cannot rely on trade media anymore, and I have to like Major League Baseball or stuff. You know, I have to build my own capability because if I can't rely on my traditional revenue from media sources that live off advertising that um, pay for us, well." You know, so, we're starting to see people innovate and create media units in very non traditional places. Mm-hmm. Just,
1: just one more question generally for you both. Is there anything you see for this audience that you've, you've come across because you travel a lot and you're across the, the scene very well? Both of you, what, tell us about startups you've seen that are new and successful that perhaps Australian startups could learn from, uh, imitate in some fashion
0: in their success.
3: Mm. Mm. Get my help.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean the. I, I mean, I, I do a lot of work with um, US startups, so but you know, it, it tends to be it's the serial guys. It's like mm-hmm. um, do a bit with David yeah. Sachs, the founder of yeah. Yammer. who mm-hmm. was the guy who then it was originally the guy who sold PayPal with Peter Thiel and Ray, 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 Ray Hoffman, Ray. and, and yeah. you know. So I, I work and I look at the way they do stuff. Um, so when Sassy sold PayPal, um, he he was thinking to genealogy, so he set up this mm-hmm. thing called Genie.org and they were trying to work out uh, how do we collaborate because we've got all these developers working all over the place and they said oh why don't we develop this like Twitter for inside businesses and they were using that to collaborate and then mm-hmm. people started that they said I'm interested in that genealogy crap but we're playing get hands on that yeah. so it's, you know sometimes it's he's trying to build a business around genealogy but what he does is he can sniff suddenly I'm showing people this but they're more interested in how we're working mm-hmm. and, and then they recycle a lot I, 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 I sort of look at there's a movement called the Responsive Organization, which mm. has got Adam Pisoni, who was the tech co-founder of Yammer, looking at how do we learn really fast to move fast? Mm. Um, so I, I look at them, I mean, I like Uber, um, what other t-shirts have I got recently? <laughs> um, the, um, I, I'm involved in one called <coughs> I promote, um, which just set out to redefine the corporate travel industry because the guy who was owned it just Hated Carson Wagon Latin American Express, so he said, "How hey, would I build this if I wanted to do it myself?" Right. So, What's the name uh, locomotive. It sold forty nine percent last week to um, Travelport, a global travel company. And what does it do? Um, it makes booking corporate travel
2: like a dream,
0: um, and it does all the things. Like if you're a mining capital with one of the Plants Glencore, we bought Extra, I'm going to fly to the Congo. All the risk mm-hmm. ratings, of all the airlines, the timing. Don't go there. Doo-doo-doo. Um, emergency management, all this sort of stuff. So it's sort of often people look out and sort of apply yeah. that lens for. Mm-hmm. I hate the way this industry works. It hasn't innovated for years. Mm-hmm. Or you know, you get the incumbents who don't move. Uh, the biggest innovation group that I'm seeing in Australia at the moment is the self managed super fund sector. Again, you've got uh, large incumbents in the, the retail super funds and the, the industry super funds and this explosion of innovation happening all over the place um, When you say
1: innovation, in what in what nature is, is this innovation?
0: The, the innovation is in terms of uh, getting visibility, data feeds, <laughs> uh, predictive tools, calculators um, ability to sort of set these things up in three minutes for a really low cost where they used to be really expensive okay. um, you know um, predictive analytics around what should be investing in and what you shouldn't be. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we're seeing a lot of big data type stuff at the moment. Um, so, it is a bit removed a, a from what the
1: core of media. Just yeah, but again, to, it's yeah. like yeah. I always look at the fringes. Yeah, it's, it's transferable. It's, you're saying, right. yeah, you can transfer What about social now media? it's strike you that you've seen of late that will uh, be relevant to the audience here? Now that I had, now that I had a second to think, you
3: know, I wanted to think about media startups, and I. I wanted to think about two and tell you about two of them in particular. One of them is called Vox. And Vox Media runs a bunch of different media sites in the United States. And the other one is called Circa. Um, One is very big and the other is very small. And I think they exemplify sort of two approaches to media startups. And this might be something, if you're starting your own thing or you have a project, one of the things you might want to think about is what kind of business are you? Are you a page views business? Right? Is your job to get really, really big and generate lots and lots and lots of page views and then figure out how to make money with that? Or are you a conversion business? Are you like a dating site or like Amazon, where the idea is get a lot of people to come in, but then convert people from people who visit or use your service for free or just look around to people who actually pay you money? Um, In general, what I see more and more in United States startups is people moving away from page view business (coughs) And becoming conversion businesses. They're trying to figure out how to have deeper relationships with the people who support them, how to move people from being audience members to supporters. Um, we did a little experiment with this at INN. And I have to say, like, I actually love telling journalists about this, because it, uh, the things that I have to tell you about this experiment will really make you happy. right? And that is, um, we did an experiment where um, people could go to news <coughs> websites And there'd be a little widget there, and you've seen this widget before because it lets you share things on Facebook or Twitter or via email. Except what we said is share, and this news organization will get a dollar, right? And what? So what did people choose to share? Guess what? They didn't share cat cat slideshows. They they shared thirteen thousand word profiles of Maine's incredibly colorful Mm -hmm. governor. They shared stuff about wetlands loss, (laughs) right? They shared like really nerdy, deep Mm -hmm. stuff. Okay. (laughs) And um, even better than that, right? What people shared was really interesting and deep, right? But what did people click on? Three out of ten of the first of all, the most interesting thing to me about this: the most shared and the most clicked had very little to do with each other, right? The top ten most shared were really deep stuff that would make any journalist happy and um, not have them fall into this pit of despair and doom of I'm going to have to do cat side shows and listicles for the rest of my days <laughs> if I ever want to make any money at all. Um, It wasn't telling us that. But what the most clicked was telling us was really interesting. Three out of the 10 of the most clicked items were actually opportunities to affiliate with the newsroom. Come to our, uh, support our Kickstarter, come to our event, be a member. These weren't even in the top 10 most shared. But there seemed to be something about the fact that people were sharing for a purpose, that people were sharing to give a dollar to somebody, but also made sharing more effective. More people were clicking <coughs> on the shared items than they were before, sometimes dramatically more, even though the people on the other side didn't know that the person who shared shared to give a dollar. That's I don't really know
1: why
0: that's happened. Yeah, that's very well, many, interesting. Yeah, the, the other one is like like medium. medium. Do you like Medium? I don't mind Medium. Yeah, I mean, uh, like don't us know us what medium is. Uh, it's sort of everyone's stories and ideas. You know, it's just a nice sort of website. It's yeah. Evan
3: Williams News startup, which is seems like a giant, vast magazine site, which Yeah. No, no apparent way to make money.
0: But that, that was true with other startups, too. The um, you know, the other one to watch it. would be LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So it's what what's happening is they're starting to invite. Like, I've been invited by LinkedIn. I'm sort of one of the top 1% <coughs> the people on LinkedIn. And they're starting to invite people. I'm not sure what Emily this mm-hmm. is to pick them. But they're saying, hey, we'd like you to start writing for blogs for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and um now i know Journal but um judo's always <coughs> remember to publish a lot of shit anyway so um uh, it's like
1: it's funny peter because i got the same invitation yeah and my gut yeah. reaction as journalist is take a hike
0: yeah uh, you know i want to be paid for anything i write yeah but uh, see my gut reaction is um well, yeah do i reckon i can engage an audience there because i'm yeah. not really that worried about making money from what I write, I'm more worried about can people, can I, how can I help? I know, mean,
1: but you're paid somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm retired, I mean, mate. I'm happy to be work. fair, I yeah. mean, the, the
0: yeah. issue is, what we're trying to do in some ways is to build innovative
1: business that employ yeah. people. But there was yeah. a great
0: article I read today by Maria katz who wrote a, uh, an article uh, who's a Victorian public servant who and then she wrote something about when suicide isn't painless or something Mm -hmm. around her battle with depression and she's an advocate for mental health Mm -hmm. and around Mm -hmm. Robin Williams and it was just an outstanding piece. Right, Um, Best thing I've read today and I read a lot. So it's like, you know, I'm looking at it and saying, well, you know, where do we fit as journalists? You know, because we're saying... And the other one is BuzzFeed. Mm. You know, it's like my kids. Cat
3: slideshow. Yeah
0: but, yeah, but it's just, I should
3: not be so mean. They actually do real stuff too.
0: Yeah, but it's actually, it's sort of if you're bored, you get a buzzfeed and it's like, you know, the top 25, you know, those drawings that look like there's a hole, but it's not a hole in the ground. And I just thought, <laughs> oh, that's interesting. And, the, and you
3: won't guess what happened next. Yeah, but it's just
0: that it's, it's, it's. Oh, I catch
1: the video. They had, they had a. a we, we visited, but we've got a question down the back. Yes, to yes, to thank you. Hey, so
2: I just want it. you to go through that. How that um, works again? Where you press a button and it goes. Oh, okay. Go, go, any, a, any go to go to
3: a website called Impact Me. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to spell this because we. Uh, I, I I really hate it when startups have words spelled in funny ways. I apologize. I M P A Q. Um, (laughs) ImpactMe.org. There's a little video about how it works. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's something that we've been experimenting with because one of the things we do for our members is help them figure out new ways to make money. Um, So this was a way of combining social sharing with fundraising. And it was an experiment that we we did across mm, 16 websites. We captured about 42,000 (coughs) shares. Wow. Um, across those websites. So it was sort of like a core sample of what did their audience really care about? What did they care about enough to give a dollar? Because they could, people could also give a dollar of their own um, if they wanted to. right? It said, share in this newsroom, we'll get a dollar. And we'd raise some money to make that happen. right? But once they did that, they said, well, do you want to match it with a dollar of your own? And to me, one of the most interesting things that came out of this is that only about one in 100 people chose to do that. But 9 out of 10 of those who did gave more than a dollar. The average person gave $14. So, what was the thing that they cared about enough to stop being a reader and start becoming a supporter? What were they looking at? What were they doing at that moment? I mean, that's the moment that you want to be at, right? But a lot of times our readers are more like imaginary friends than real people to us. We, well, we have some questions levels. along
1: the front here. Sorry, you wanted to ask something earlier. Yes, sir. Yeah, so uh, uh, there's
3: sort of an urgent question right over uh, right? uh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. there. Right? Yeah, okay,
1: we'll, we'll yeah. do both. Yes, sorry. I know you asked. It's uh, yeah, very yeah, strong. Do, uh, do uh, go ahead. Okay,
0: so this is, I, I guess, of you, but of that 92% who don't want to pay for articles, do they not want to pay for articles because they think articles are shitty? Or pay for journalism because they think journalism is shitty or because they think that it should not it's not something that you pay for? I, I think, I think, it, I think, think it's sort of, of a, a thing is that there's so many, you know, it's like, you know, you can read The Guardian, you can read the ABC News, there's so many good news sources that uh, it's just, again, I just think it's <coughs> a bit of an issue about paying for content, <laughs> you know, whether it's uh, pirating music or stuff like that, but, you know, I mean, we just asked the question. Yeah, would you pay for news and our sense was that there was a feeling that if you if you put the paywall up here i'll either get around it which we don't know how to do uh or alternatively i will go to another news source because i don't sort of create a massive differential between what's being provided you know like the abc news is good the Guardian is good or unless i particularly have some journal who i love reading you know you know under a masthead or whatever i might but um yeah, it's the way I see
2: so yeah. it. Yes, sir. Um, Two points. When you said that Link was, uh, um, LinkedIn was encouraging people to be um, bloggers on their site, is that because you'd you mentioned earlier that you didn't think, you didn't thought that all businesses should have a community aspect or a social aspect to them that's right, right, right near them or connect to them? Do you think that publishing houses or media platforms will integrate themselves with existing communities and publish within it so you so the market for their users is, is right there? And then the second one is... You're so I
0: think that was the, you know, just sort of trying to put it for the way I, my framework around your um, your sort of thing about the sharing and that. It's almost like I've gone from being a reader to being part of something. You know, by giving... It's, you know, I want to be part of something and it's, it's like, you know, people who subscribe to um, the community radio stuff mm-hmm. and all that, they feel part of something. It's not sort of they don't see themselves as a transactional consumer of content. They feel like, you know, I like what these guys this do. Is it like Lisa
1: was saying about the affiliation? Was, right. was yeah, the point is like, where they're like yeah. our yeah. friends, not our readers. And no?
2: You'd said with the set of we've been discussing about people aggregating payments, whether that's just aggregating the payments for your coffee to be at the end, so the payment is taken out of the transaction, so your, your relationship isn't bothered by the transaction of having to pay for your coffee every time. And in the same way, if you're getting content from paying, paying for, you know, you know a, a subscription to a, um, if you wanted to pay for a book or people, and my colleague was telling me about this, this author had on his website, if you've read my book and just downloaded it for free, you can pay for it and give as end. much as you like. Or pigeonhole this book reading community. You all read the book together and then talk about it, and at the end you pay after you've had the experience of the book and the people talking about it, and then you can pay, and it's it's unlimited. So do you think that will happen much more with journalism generally? You know, I don't know. We haven't tried it. Oh,
3: you okay. know, I think it's interesting, but I I haven't been <coughs> in direct contact with a journalism organization in the U.S. that's tried that, except for the fact that. That's kind of what they're doing all the time, right? They give away lots of stuff for free, mm. and hope mm. that you will give them money, yeah. right? And it's not working, mm. you know. Um, in part because a lot of times they're not asking, right? Um, and they're not necessarily making large efforts to create the community or specifically make an appeal to you to say, "Hey, this is this is what we're doing. Will you help us?" Mm. You know. Some are, and some aren't. Um, I would say that the exception to that is public media and public broadcasters who do that all the time. Mm. And they, mm-hmm. they are among the most stable and successful media organizations <coughs> in the United States. Not in Canada,
2: though.
4: Huh? Not in
2: Canada, though. Huh? In
4: Canada,
3: though. Uh, yeah, it's I guess not. It's different in different places, right?
4: I think it's interesting what you're saying about not going out for money. I mean, I just remember from a storyology conference, a year or two ago the Walthy Foundation had a couple of guys, a guy from 9MSN here Mm and Microsoft had done this study in several media organisations to see what people actually did share, which stories they shared. Because, of course, if they share a newspaper, you can't tell which story it was being shared. And it struck me that pretty much the criteria for what they said was shared and also what the guy from BuzzFeed said was shared Mm -hmm. did not actually fit with our standard news, what I as Mm a news reporter was taught was news. It was stuff that said, this is what I think I want you to see me as, or this is how I would like us to be, or this is how I'd like you to see me, and it was completely at odds in many ways with what we've all been taught is a news story. So there seems to be <coughs> an inherent conflict there. So there's a
1: big issue between what the public may actually want and what the journalists traditionally mm. want to give them, That's, and that comes up in your issue about clicks, The they can Cat shows are what people want, and uh, but that that's, not an that's an issue, not, isn't it? That
2: was not what <laughs> our test showed.
3: That was actually not what our test showed. Our test showed our test did not show that. Our test mm-hmm. showed that people were sharing. The world. Mm-hmm. Pretty important, in-depth things. Now, sometimes people may be sharing that because they're showing up. But <laughs> certainly, there's a, uh, there's I a, think a performative aspect to
1: social media. Yeah. Most most you news organisations uh, <laughs> will run, or most editors will know, and I edited a variety of publications. The, the tried stuff gets big clicks, and this is the case in news and news.com.au. Uh, it's it's the cat stories and the sex stories that will that will rate, the, and I think we accept that as a fact and then we work from there to, to, to do the best we can within journalism. Isn't yes, the question- just, can Sorry, I, isn't sorry. That just
4: denigration? Can you just, in, a, in that same thing, do the denigration of everything that people share? Like well, I think you have- Well, I
1: think as, <laughs> if in, the, in the business of startup and innovations, you do it in the real world. And if it's the case that uh, the vast majority of the audience enjoy this sort of thing, this is what BuzzFeed um, is particularly, we, we got, when we were in the US last year, uh, we visited BuzzFeed, and <coughs> their Australian traffic was extraordinary. Uh, But, you know, uh, looking at it from a traditional journalism point of view, it it was very little in what we would call quality or useful Can I take a question? Down, ladies back there. Yes.
2: I mean, listening to all of this, it seems to me that that we're ignoring the fact that there's invisible money going on. I mean, if we're all going to sit back and watch the ABC, despite its efficiencies, um, or the BBC because of its license fee, or the Guardian because of the Scott Foundation, there's money there. There's money there that's paying journalists because Mm -hmm. of things that Mm. have been set up. They're yeah. going to say, well, the only serious journalism that's really going to go on is in these kinds of organizations. And everywhere else, we're going to aggregate and we're going to not worry about money so much when it's going to be tons of number-class people who will just do it for a whole <coughs>
1: Sorry, Lisa. You, you run an organization that's 100 affiliated nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that's it? Do you think that is actually the way it's oh, going no. to go? I think
3: I think there will be uh, there will be serious contenders in the for-profit world too. Um, what would know, they look like?
1: What would, who would they be? What would their nature be? You
3: know, I just don't see that there's a huge difference between the for-profits and the non-profits. They still need to do bring money in the door to. Uh, to figure it out. The folks who are not subsidized by governments or a huge trust. None of my members are subsidized by the government or a huge trust. They have to go out and figure out where the revenue comes from, just like everybody else. right? And uh, there's a wonderful study by a woman named Michelle McClellan. She did this study for the Knight Foundation. And she went in depth with a bunch of new startups that were actually succeeding, that were growing. OK, that we're keeping the lights on, that we're growing, that we're hiring people. What were they spending their time on? How did they get the money in the door? And she gives pie charts for every single one of them. It's a really fascinating look at very specifically, concretely, how were they making money. Um, the interesting thing is they're just not making money on advertising. Like when you talk about the, the business of cat slideshows, OK, that's a page views <coughs> business, right? It says, if we can get a zillion page views, we can still have an advertising business. The problem is that the advertising business has gotten really bad, right? So more of the people that I deal with, both on the for-profit side and the not-for-profit side, um, are in a conversion business. They're not about pushing on tons and tons and tons of cat slide shows, because those people are never going to pay you. They're not going to give you a dollar. What's happening is that advertisers are going to pay you for their eyeballs, right? The the stuff that people... um, what they were looking at before they gave these organizations a dollar or became members were not cat slideshows. They were serious stuff. Okay, So the conversion business tended towards a more sort of <laughs> serious content. Um, those people could be for profit or not for, for profit. Uh, the actual distinction between how they incorporated didn't matter that much. What, what the what distinction was: the was were they view business, or were they a conversion business?
1: The Michelle, what was the name of? The
3: Michelle b- McClellan. I don't remember the name <laughs> of the study. It was her last name is M-C-I-L-L-A-N. Um and it, she did the study for the Knight Foundation. It was commissioned by the Knight Foundation.
0: Right. Nice. I, I think it's. I think it's a very interesting question that you asked, Christine. It's like yeah. the the thing is, if we look at a, a business model historically you know I can aggregate a whole heap of people that if you want to get to anybody you need to you know be on TV or advertise in the pay or a magazine because we've got the attention of that audience and you know huge amounts of money you know we'll, or that's the only place you could really get there suddenly things like the web come up and then we start to see advertising budgets move away from you know these traditional sources and you know, they bit slow to move into the online and then some of this is fragmentation and everyone competing but you know we, you know, this big question is, well, really, is just the available pool of money as this sort of change goes on just sort of shrunk? Um, and suddenly it's like, well, I'm a general. And I need to make a living. Well, maybe I've got to go and you know, right here, because there's just not the money that there was. Yeah. Or, and then you're, you think of the not-for-profits. I always say the not-for-profits. I know a lot of profits that don't know how to make money even Though they're trying to, yeah. so if you're not for profit and you're not trying to make money, you're in a bigger shit. So yeah. you've got to take a commercial approach. But I, but I do think that's part of the challenge. It's like the, the overall pool of advertising through traditional media or through the organizations that traditionally <coughs> um, had a lot of journalists is shrinking, and you know, so the reaction is yeah. so more and more page
3: views for the smaller and smaller pile of money. So, my question is, why? Uh, if that's the case in your market why are you chasing after the ad lab who who is really going for page views because we've talked about BuzzFeed but
2: I don't think that is their business model but it seems to me their business model is much more around the native content and when we met with them in the US they they talked about their their news site and and they are one of the biggest growing sites journalism sites (laughs) in Australia and, and, and in the US. They talked about their site being their research and development arm for their content mm. business, mm. and that's where Which the money's coming. But they completely—they're how to share, but mm. they're completely separate. So in a way, they aren't yeah. those kind of journalistic right. values. And a lot of their investment now is in, like,
4: you know, right. So they're trying to
3: repair that. the fact that the, the traditional advertising has collapsed, mm.
4: right?
3: So how do they do that? They go into um, native advertising, ad right? mm-hmm. So, um, so you know, they're trying to find that. I think that people who want to take huge bets will go after pastry businesses, but it has to be a big bet because they're going to. Oh, it's a patriot making money at all. That's but right.
1: It's really saying, that's to enough it. Enough One, yeah, we have some, Can out. we take some, we some, some questions? Anyone down the back of the room there we haven't had yet? Sorry, yes, yeah. Hi.
3: Um how publish this
2: in terms of non-profit versus for-profit museums. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a startup and you aim to be a non-profit, as you said there's yeah. not a huge difference between the two business models. Do you still have a product that's sellable at the end of it? Have you ever seen it, and you get so much NGNs, or do you think of this is for? You know, the
3: thing is, is that, and that's the big that's the big decision, at least I've, I'm not sure how your incorporation with law works here, but in the United States, the big uh, downside, to my mind, of incorporating as a not-for-profit is you can't flip the business. Mm-hmm. Who's going to? You can't have someone buy the whole thing, mm-hmm. right, unless you have some really exotic. and. By law, you can't have. But yeah, you, people can't take equity stakes in you. You don't have to right? But you so, could, so. <laughs> you could so, have a not-for-profit
0: yeah. business. Let's say yeah. the ABC decided that they wanted to um, sell off bananas and pajamas or something. So they built a franchise, um, and they say, you know, we've actually got something of value here. You know, we can flog this off as a business. Player. Or you know, some of our best not-for-profits, like say the Smith family, they make um, most of the carpet underlay in the company. Right, because they you know they take all the stuff in the bins and the crap that they can't See, sell. They have a product like you can have a product like example. so, so <coughs> the social enterprise has it to be new, but a lot of our historical not for profits had businesses that looked very much like a traditional for profit business as the mm-hmm. the way that they can fund their philanthropic opportunities. Right. But if they then said, well, you know we've got this $10 million car the mm-hmm. business, um, here we go, uh, we'll fly it off and. Um, it, it would be tax free but then that business could then pers- would persist as a profit business mm-hmm. because the new buyer theoretically wouldn't have a donor guarantee status so, so it's, the, yeah, it's, it's it's yeah, yeah it's not impossible it's
1: not impossible but the status of the enterprise would change to a tax, it would be a taxable business and it could be very different numbers than when yeah, it was. Yeah no, I imagine
2: it would often get bored and then run into the ground for competition purposes but if you're ready for that to happen really yeah it's so
1: hard. it's not not entirely impossible Yes. We're just running out of time so maybe one or two last questions. Yes.
2: I was wondering, do you think that the the current model of of books as sort of knowledge stocks doesn't take advantage of the potential opportunity for journalists to make money from integrating their recommendations for a book within the book and then selling it on and broadening the audience for that book and potentially pushing it up the ratings? Like, you know when you make a you're sort of commenting on your Kindle on your iTunes, but if that was integrated into the book itself and then it was distributed as a as an ebook with your comments within it, then could that be a, an opportunity for journalists to make sort of raise their profile by doing all this? But well, it, it could be.
0: It could be a bit like you know Kim Kardashian wearing some shoe or Snoop Dogg or something yeah, you know, and they slip a bit of money crazy. but then the journalistic ethics would be no I'm writing this as an independent review oh. not because I've got you know 200,000 followers on Twitter I know if I say it's good you'll sell an extra 30,000 copies no, so
2: you wouldn't necessarily say it's good it could be that your, your criticism well they
0: don't to sort of want to give you money for that's crap but but again it's but again it goes to the question of maybe you know, you know rapidly changing market with, with the old Revenue models changing—that's where the innovation comes from. I and mean, it's sort of saying, well, it's unresolved. We don't know. You know, you, you, you've yeah. shown quite a number of ways that you know, not for profits or different ways of getting people to say, I, I want to really support. Cause I was involved in the new Matilda crowdfunding thing, which mm. um, was terrific. Yeah, you know, it, it was. I'm on the advisory board of Possible, that, that <coughs> startup, and 185 grand—it was the biggest. It was the biggest crowdfunding ever yeah, thing yeah. we've done, and. Um, but again, and I was sort of advising, I don't know what her name was, who was panicking towards the 11th hour. Marnie, uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that was it, because yeah, she's ringing me. How do I kick this over? How do I kick this over? Don't worry, let's hit our networks. Let's, um, you know, and, um, and so it, it's sort of, a, I think in some ways it's almost these days, can I capture the emotion of people who want to do something? There's a, there was a guy who came over from Canada a, f- a sort of French Canadian guy set up some magazine. Was it the Alpine Way or something that sort of looks like like a j- Dumbo feather on steroids with magnificent articles and beautiful paper? And you know, oh, he, yeah. he he's just started because he wanted to and he could. Uh, you know, and he's directly decided, I don't want to do it online. I want this to be almost like an iconic thing, that when nice. you do get this thing, it, 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 it's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. Kind of it's experience. beautiful. Everything about it is just, it's like an, if you could sort of think of a magazine that was as beautiful as an iPad, that was it. Nice. Um, but again, he's sort of started that. And he, he's gone, he's, he's a consultant by background. He's not a journal, um But he's sort of gone back and he's trying stuff. But, you know, it's this sort of notion of exploring, and, but it captures the imagination, and maybe that then says, you know what? I want to be a subscriber for the next. What's it? Is it the Alpine? I can't I know that's a phone. It's Alpine something. He was here for the do lectures, and um, you know, maybe that then says, you know, this is so beautiful, that, and that other people see it. I want to subscribe to that too. It, it's this is what I'm sort of saying. It's like <coughs> we don't really know because things have changed, like seismic shifts, and you know, we're seeing you know guys like. Um, the Spectator group, go out and try something and actually build a seven million dollar business.
1: Well, thanks. Well, maybe on that positive yeah, note, it's just coming up at the end of time. We might leave it at that. I thought it was very interesting. I think I'd like to finish on a positive note. So, Ironically, the positive note we finish on is a guy who's launching a paper magazine. Uh, so, there you are. Everything God. goes around, comes around. Uh, Lisa Williams and Pete Williams, thank you very much for coming, very having much. our time tonight. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Walkley Talks on iTunes and follow the Walkleys on Twitter and Facebook for new episode updates to be the first to know about upcoming Walkley events and news.